so we are launching into a series on foundations and God put this on my heart as we are as we are coming together um, over the last couple years we've had a, a variety of different ways that we have met we have gathered we have seen people join living waters and so what this is is an opportunity for us to simply talk about some of the foundational things that make living waters living waters and so if you're new with us in, in, a, in a, our heart behind this is to welcome you in and for you to to get a hold of, of what we're doing. But one thing I want to make sure that is very clear that that we hold to strongly here at Living Waters is that there is no requirement for you to agree with everything that is said from the stage to be able to be a part of this community, continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus. I am not the uh, I'm not the gatekeeper of all truth. I am not the gatekeeper of like this is the way you have to believe and think to be able to be a part of this community. We are centered around Jesus. We are following Jesus together. As we follow Jesus, as years go by, our goal is to become more and more like Jesus, not more and more like a particular church leader or a particular teaching style or a particular church gathering or whatever it looks like. We are to look more and more like Jesus. And one of the ways that we look more and more like Jesus is by not holding so intensely to some of our beliefs and some of our doctrines. Now, I'm not saying to you that I don't have a deep passion for doctrine and for, for beliefs. Like, I do, and, I will, and I'll bore you to death. I'll prove to you this morning that I love this stuff. I love it. But... It's not, it doesn't need to be a hurdle that you have to feel like you have to jump over. You are following Jesus. And so as we loosen our hold on some of these things, there's going to be times throughout your life where some things that you believe so strongly today in 10 years, you may not believe them quite as strongly. But I do pray, and my heart is that if you stick around with us, that while you may not believe all the exact same things today that you believe in 10 years or as emphatically as you believe them, my goal and heart is that you would look more like Jesus in 10 years. So that's what we want, and so, so don't feel like, as I'm sharing, this is our foundation, and, and that, that somehow you have, to, uh, you have to agree with everything that I've said, or if you question me, or you wonder, like, I wonder where he's coming from, or is he right about that, that I'm going to kick you out of the church for questioning or for thinking on your own. Um, too many horror stories of people going into people's offices that are spiritual leaders and coming to them with genuine questions, concerns, or even saying, I want to push back on something that you're that you taught or whatever, and that, uh, them being like booted out of community. So we do not build a community that is based upon sharing the exact same beliefs about every single thing. As long as we're following Jesus, that's going to be our baseline. And our baseline is, as I'm following Jesus, do the doctrines and the beliefs that I hold about the Bible, about Jesus, about the Spirit of God, about the Father, do these beliefs, are they, are they bearing fruit in my life that looks more and more like the fruit of the Spirit that we're called to have? Does it bear fruit that looks like Jesus? Sometimes when we hold so tightly to doctrine, we come out on the other side looking a lot like our doctrine, but not a lot fruitful. Not a lot fruitful. We also learn to speak well. Uh, we are not as fruitful in that journey, and so I want that to be kind of what we do. Um, okay, so foundations. So, so some of the mission statement or some of the things that we've written that Kate and I have written over the years, just to give you some background, Kate and I have been a part of this church uh, for many, many years. Kate, I believe, began attending this church in 1987. I came here in 1995. We went away to college. We did different things. We came back. We jumped on the team in 2001 together. I started in 2000. We got married in 2001. We came, excuse me, we came on the team together. And so we've been here 
as a part of Living Waters um, for a long time. I'm going to fall over this thing. Okay. So, um, and over those years, we have put a ton of heart and thought and prayer into what it would look like to build a church that is, instead of being based on a lot of the metrics that are out there, what if it was simply just based on the fruitfulness of us stewarding our most important relationship, which is our marriage? And so if we, what would it look like to build a church based on a healthy marriage? And not like I'm, I'm not saying like we're trying to build a church on us. <laughs> uh, but, but what if we didn't sacrifice our marriage or our relationship for like growing a, a big church or something? Like what would, what would that really look like? And so out of that has come this, this desire for for relational connectivity. It's also grown out of that is just a passion for family and, and a passion for health and a passion for things that may not look super flashy right away, but if you track them decades instead of months, uh, that you're going to see health coming out of it in, in, in our lives, in all of our lives. And so as we've gone through that journey, we've written things down along the way. We have, we have heard sought into scripture we have heard from the Lord and some of the things that have just become so foundational to us and we want to share those with you and we you know these things we are who are we we're an empowered community fully alive in Jesus on a mission to free the captive heal the broken restore what has been stolen and invite people into his kingdom now that sounds really fancy that's a little bit more of a slogan now let's talk about what that looks like and the, and the, and the core verse for that is, is John 10 10 the thief the religion religiosity the law um, come only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. Um, so why do we exist? We exist to answer that question, what do you look like fully alive in Jesus? Because as you answer that question, it doesn't mean that you have to look like me. You have to look like Jesus, but he wants to live in you and through you in the way that he's created you and designed you in your heart, your personality, your gifts. He wants to come alive in you and show himself through you. So what do you look like fully alive in Jesus? And the answer is not, I, I'm going to try to look like Ryan or Kate or anybody else. It's going to say, you, you fully alive. What is, who are you fully alive in Jesus? Um, and so we exist to answer that question. Our heart is that every person was, would cultivate deeper intimacy with God through the indwelling life of the Spirit, become strengthened in their identity in Christ, and they would step into their inheritance as co-heirs with Christ, that inheritance that the Father has for us. We just spent the whole beginning part of this year talking about that. Living fully and alive in Christ is the reality and understanding this as we come out of Easter, that everything has been won on the cross. We have access to every spiritual blessing as we, blessing as we follow Jesus, as we sur submit and surrender our life to Jesus. We are well equipped to destroy the work of the enemy. We are dead, buried, and raised and glorified with Christ. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive in us as we surrender ourselves to Jesus. And we can live as God intended. We can be empowered to bring transformation and uniquely manifest the purposes of God on earth through our life, through our sphere of influences, through your marketplaces, through your relationships, and through your family. Um, and so the thing that I want to focus on this morning is, are they, are they honking for us? Hey, good morning. Or they're going to fight. Okay, cool, cool. There's someone's going the wrong way down the road. Okay, it's all, it's okay. It's not a, it's not a one-way road. It's too late. All right, and the, so the thing that I want to focus on today and talk about, because I think, I do believe that this is super foundational to how you understand what we teach, wh why we teach what we teach, what our, what our baseline um, doctrine is, is what it means to be a new or better covenant 
people. Uh, I mentioned this last week of how what Jesus accomplished so often in the, in the last few hundred years of churchianity or churchlandia, we have, we have made the, the work of Christ so personal. And I'm not saying that it's not personal, but it's all been about me, about me. And what we've lost is some of the cosmic, that corporate, that he came, he so loved the whole world. Jesus so loved, or God so loved the whole world that Jesus came. So we have lost some of that bigger picture also of what Jesus has done when we have, when we have only focused on the fact that because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, you are forgiven of your sins, which is true, absolutely true. But also, what, what was the bigger things? What are some of the, those huge things that Jesus was accomplishing? And one of those that we talked about was at that moment of communion, that last supper, when he said, this is my blood poured out for a new covenant that I'm making. And so there was something, a, a radical shift that took place. And I think if we can understand that, it'll help us so much in our understanding of, uh, especially of how we come to scripture. And so God is creating in Christ that new covenant people, uh, a, a group of diverse yet united, one new humanity, as Hebrews talks about, a community that's embracing diversity, ethnicity, cultural, economic, geographic, religious backgrounds, upbringing, whatever it is, it's, it's possible because Christ has become our peace. He has removed every wall of hostility between us. He has re removed every wall of hostility between us and God, but also between one another. He has removed distrust. He has removed division. So we are walking as new covenant people. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be a new covenant people, one new humanity that God was calling us to in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, and then his enthronement and the outpouring of his spirit? So what does that mean? So let's dive into that this morning. Um, some of you will love this. Some of you will fall asleep during this. And I do not hold it against you whatsoever if you would like to take a little nappy nap. Uh, this is a great, this is a powerful atmosphere to sleep in. And I believe that the Spirit of God will minister to you even as you, even as you sleep. All right, so enjoy. Um, so the Bible is extremely difficult. We can all admit that, that we, as, as you come into relationship with Jesus, one of the things that people will tell you is to read your Bible Yes, and reading your Bible is very important, but then as you read your Bible, you discover that it is extremely difficult to understand. And, and so the reality of that is there is just so many beautiful ways that the Bible is put together, the history, the culture behind it, these 66 books that we call the Bible today. Um, but I, I fear that people, that, that we would go home week after week and that we would just be kind of confused by the Bible even after decades of listening in church, and I don't want the Bible to confuse us where we feel like we have to come for someone to teach us what the Bible means or what it's saying, that we have this joy of spending time in the Word and that it come, it's alive to us and, and that we're never handing, handing off the responsibility of learning the Word and studying the Word and memorizing the Word and, and being in it. We're not handing that off to somebody on a stage with a microphone to just tell, tell me what it means. But if the Bible's confusing and intimidating, we could sit in church church year after year after year and go home and try to read it and go, I, I, I don't know. I do love church. I'm going to go back and listen because I, I love being taught, which is absolutely fine. But we have to know what we're looking at and we have to go for a deeper understanding and, un, and kind of come out of that place where the Bible would be intimidating and confusing to us. You've got, you, you begin your, your journey of someone saying, hey, you got to read the Bible and you begin your journey and you, Genesis and you have Eden and you have Adam and Eve and then, and then you have Noah and, he, and the ark and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel, the patriarchs, and, 
And then Joseph, he's sold into to slavery. He ends up in Egypt. The Israelites, God's people, end up in, in Egypt for 430 years. And you're reading this kind of linear story. Moses comes. He, takes, he leads the people out of Egypt, into the, in, in the exodus of Egypt. They, and on Mount Sinai, God meets them and, and in that place of saying, I want to lead you into a promised land, but before I lead you into the promised land, I want to make a covenant with you. And so he makes this covenant with them. And they, they why a covenant? Because he's trying to reveal himself through means that they would understand. And so if they're coming out of 430 years of slavery in Egypt, they understand the worship of gods and, and all other gods, and they have this covenant mentality and understanding of it and so God gives them this covenant he reveals himself through a means that they would understand and so they they enter into this covenant with God that old what we call the old covenant and then they go into the promised land and you have Joshua leading them into the promised land and then Samson and the judges King Saul King David King Solomon and and about that point when you're feeling like you've got this linear perspective of what's happening in the Bible the Bible goes radically wonky at that moment and now you're reading, they're like redoing parts of it. And then they're overlapping time frames of like, oh yeah, we were, re- we were here in this linear story, but now we're way over here. And you're like, oh cool, no, no. Now we're, now we're way back here, and now we're here. And so it can get really confusing at about that point. And, and then we, we set the Bible down and go, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to read something else, Twilight or something. Um, uh, so... I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, when the Bible goes sideways on us, we're struggling to understand. A lot of cliches have been used to explain the Bible. It's, they're dumb. God's rule book or God's love letter or basic instructions before leaving earth. And the, the, None of these are adequate to, to talk about the Bible and, and really lead us into the revelation of what the Bible is supposed to be to us on a personal level. Um, so what is it then? What is the Bible? If I could help you understand the Bible, this is how I, would, how I would say it to you. The Bible is the written record of God's covenant journey with mankind. The Bible is God's written record of God's covenant. The Bible is the written record of God's covenant journey with mankind. So we struggle with the Bible when we use it as a weapon, when we proof text out of it, when we read meaning into it instead of allowing the meaning to be drawn out of it. We struggle with the Bible when we, see, when we sweep strange and odd texts, verses under the carpet, like, oh, I don't know what the heck that means. Let's just forget that that's in there, and let's move to the ones that I love. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love that one. Okay, so, but, we, but that, the intellectual dishonesty that happens when we take certain texts, and we don't even look at them, and we don't try to understand them, and then, and then we grab onto others, that begins to, you, you may not recognize it, but those kinds of things erode our, our faith, and so we want to say, no, God has given us a way that we can understand the whole of Scripture, and so, as I said, the best way to read it is with this understanding that it is, it is the written record of God's covenant journey with mankind. Very quickly, these are the covenants. These five main covenants is Noah's covenant. It's captured in Genesis 8. And so the covenants are, the, the sections of Scripture the, of the Bible are about these covenants, and it's the stories, it's the culture, it's the poetry, it's the art, the history around each one of these covenants. So you have Noah's covenant, and that's a section where, 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 where God is operating with them under, under that, that covenant that he made with Noah, that I would never destroy the earth, that I will always be faithful. And so some of these covenants you recognize are ones where God just says, I will do this. And some of these are covenants where he's saying, I'm requiring this response from you, and you have to do this thing. So you have Noah's covenant, you have Abraham's covenants. In Genesis 12, he makes a covenant with Abraham, I will be your 
God, you will be my people. I will, I will raise you into a mighty nation. You, you know, uh, then you have the Mosaic covenant I talked about, Exodus 19 through 24. This is a, a conditional covenant that God made with, people, with the people that said, hey, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. You've been in Egypt for 430 years. You have really no idea who I am, but I want to introduce myself to you. This is who I am. He made it. He made himself known to them in a way that they could understand as he was delivering the covenant and the commandments, the, the, the rules of the covenant. Uh, the people were like, yeah, we'll do it. And then, the, and then they had a big party and a big orgy. And, and, and when Moses came down with the, with the rules of this covenant that he'd made, uh, they're like partying and worshiping idols. And so God come, they go, Moses goes back up to God. He, he pleads with the people. God de- uh, lowers their covenant to, to a type of covenant where they had to do these things in order for this covenant to remain. And so this put God in, an, in a very interesting position um, of Anyway, so they have, that's the Mosaic Covenant, which we call the Old Covenant. You have the Davidic Covenant after that, where God promised to David his throne that would be unending. And then you have the New Covenant that we talk about in Hebrews. In Jeremiah 31, it talks about a new covenant, a promise that God would say, I don't like this covenant that we're in, but I will make a new covenant with my people. And that is what we see happen in Jesus. And Jesus came in that place of saying, we mentioned this last week on the cross, it is finished, it is fulfilled, is the translation that you can, uh, that you can use in that moment where he says it is finished. It's not just the work of, of forgiving everyone. He actually came to fulfill the covenant in a way that we couldn't. Why? Because God wanted to remove that, that covenant that he was in with people. But God can't just break a covenant. Why? Because he cannot lie. So he can't just go, I don't like this covenant that we're in anymore. I want to break it. There had to be a fulfilling of, a finishing of that covenant. And so in Jesus' death, he fulfilled the old covenant. He finished that covenant and it was obsolete and he inaugurated a new covenant by his blood. And so that reality of what, what was Jesus accomplishing in his life? Why did it matter that he lived in a certain way? Why did it matter that he fulfilled all these prophetic words? Why did it matter that he lived righteously? Because he followed the law, he lived under the law, and he fulfilled the law, even when that law said you are guilty and put him to death. And so in that thing, in that moment, it was finished, and a new covenant came into its place. And so those five covenants we understand in Scripture are so important for us to understand because God always relates to people based upon the covenant that they're in with him. And so if we're looking at the Old Testament, we're trying to understand why is God doing this? Why is he saying this? Why is he responding this way? If you don't understand the historical context of what covenant they're in and what the rules, expectations, obligations of that covenant was, then you're going to have a hard time interpreting that scripture or understanding that Old Testament passage or story. But it is, it's very uh, simple and straightforward to say, oh wait, what covenant were we in here? We were in, the, in, in Noah's covenant. We were in Abraham's covenant. We were in this, now we're in from Mount Sinai forward. We're in the, that, that old covenant, that Mosaic covenant. We're in that. And so that's what they are operating under. So much of our confusion about the Bible will be cleared up. We understood it this way, these five different covenants. So just a real quick cheat sheet. The Old Testament is not the Old Covenant. The New Testament is not the New Covenant. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant, this will help you so much understanding the New Testament. The entire New Testament was written at a time when the Old Covenant and the New Covenant were both in existence. They were overlapping. And so the tension of the Old Covenant being removed and the New Covenant coming was where every author in the New Testament wrote their 
teachings to the church or their expressions of what they believed that Jesus, uh, or what they were sharing about Jesus, about his life, and what the gospel meant. And so the old covenant and the new covenant actually coexisted for 40 years until 70 AD. And when you read scripture, and it's in the New Testament, it says the end of the age. It is not talking about the end of the world. It is talking about the end of the temple. It is talking about the end of the temple system, the priesthood. It is talking about the end of the Mosaic law, the end of the Mosaic age, the end of that temple age. So when we're looking at New Testament and understanding it, and it says the end of the age, we're not looking and going, that's talking about the end of the world. No, it's talking about that Jesus came in a completion, a fulfillment of the old covenant in a way that removed it from people we are no longer under the obligation of it, and that age was coming to an end. Okay, so that should help you a little bit in understanding, even understanding the New Testament a little bit. And so, but you might be saying at this moment, but pastor, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> Matthew 5, Matthew 5. So let's look at Matthew 5 really quick. Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So if heaven and earth still exist, according to this passage, 100% of the Mosaic law is still in force, including the temple system, the Levitical priesthood, the high priest, the Ark of the Covenant, the temple duties, the Levites, the city of Jerusalem being the location of the temple, the feasts of the Lord, the three annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem, and the circumcision of the flesh. Has heaven and earth passed away? No. So if heaven and earth, according to Matthew 5, and where Jesus says that not one, one ounce of the law is going to be gone until heaven and earth pass away. So are we still under that place? Or could we look at this as a Hebraic figure of speech and understand something that everyone in the first century understood? If we look at it in context, the cultural context, the historical context, and the scriptural context. The cultural context is that the tabernacle of Moses, the temple where they did all of the sacrificing of the system, where the, where the law was centralized, was called heaven and earth by the people. This is a common understanding of the first century. And I'm not just saying this for you to believe me. You can look them up. You can look this up in Josephus. So many of the early church writers talk about how the tabernacle was called heaven and earth. To the people, it was the center of their entire universe. So that's the cultural context, the historical context is that in 70 AD, this temple was destroyed by the Romans, by, the, by Titus. And so, I, I don't have time to go into all the details, but in the destruction of the temple was the end of the priesthood, was the end of the sacrificial system, was the end of the old covenant. And it was, at that moment, it was entirely removed. Heaven and earth passed away when that temple was destroyed. In the scriptural context, we have for Matthew 5, is that over and over, the old covenant is canceled. All of Hebrews, all of Galatians, so much of Paul's writing is about don't go back to the law, don't go back to the Mosaic covenant, don't go back to performance, don't go back under that law that God said it didn't even please him. Stand under the new covenant that Jesus inaugurated for you and invited you into a new and better covenant. So the, the context of Matthew 5 is speaking of the law, and Christ fulfilled that law according to Romans 10.4. Christ is the end of the law to all who believe in Jesus. So Matthew 5 isn't telling us until literal heaven and earth pass away that we are under the law. We are under a better covenant. Luke 22.20, 20, Jesus' blood has inaugurated. This is my 
blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And we have this new covenant now that we live under. Okay, everybody tracking along so far? I mean, unless you're sleeping, okay? You, which is, again, I said, it's totally fine. I know some of you, you get, you get the podcast and you put it in at night just so you can fall asleep to the sound of my voice because it makes you, <laughs> makes you sleepy. So what about this new covenant this new, with new and better promises? Hebrew 8, 6. Hebrews 8, 6. All of Hebrews is about the new covenant. This new covenant is better than you think. The old covenant, we see passages of Scripture that say things like this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Isaiah 55, 8. So this is, a, this is a beautiful scripture. It talks to us about the character and nature of God. But if we make that the truth that we live under today, what we're doing is we're taking an old covenant scripture out of context and we're trying to apply it to a new covenant lifestyle, a new covenant person, a new covenant believer. It doesn't work that way. So we have this thought that says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and your, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So we're saying, oh man, we can never, never have that. But the new covenant says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Romans 12 says, not that God's thoughts are so far off and incapable of understanding them. It actually teaches us that we can know God's heart and will, and we can test it, and we can walk in it. The new covenant says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, it takes it a step further that says that we have the mind of Christ. The old covenant says God is too far and too, far, too high. The new covenant says you have the mind of Christ. The old covenant said we are told that, God's, uh, that we could not know God's thoughts or his ways. The new covenant, God tells us we're able to test and approve the will through our mind and through our actions and that we have the mind of Christ. The old covenant we read, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Now, again, that is an old covenant scripture. If we try to pull that out and live under it and tell people that all of your righteous acts, no matter what you do, it's like filthy rags before the Lord. We have now taken an old covenant principle in scripture, and we are applying it to new covenant believers, and it doesn't work. The new covenant, Paul writes this, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We go from all of our acts or filthy rags of righteousness to actually becoming the righteousness of God in Jesus in the new covenant. So you understand what I'm getting at without me just going into example after example after example. The mixing of the covenants within the modern church is a mistake that where we go back and forth, where preachers go back and forth, where people go back and forth between teaching and pulling scriptures out of the old covenant and applying it to a new covenant reality. And so what happens when we mix covenants seamlessly is that it creates a massive amount of confusion in people's lives and understanding of what God is like, what scripture is meaning, how to read and understand the Bible, and, how to, and, 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 and the inability to be discerning in a way that says, wait, what is the historical, cultural context of this passage of scripture that I'm reading? Is this God interacting with his people based on a Mosaic covenant that no longer exists? Therefore, Is it something that I should apply directly to my life and try to live under? Or should I look for the parallel scripture in the New Covenant and in the New Testament that would allow me to understand, wait, if that was true under the Old Covenant, what is true of me as a New Covenant believer and what has Jesus accomplished that has changed or fulfilled the Old Covenant so that I live under a new and different covenant relationship with God, which changes everything. 
And so when we get that wrong, we can preach seamlessly. I could do it. I could preach seamlessly between the old covenant and the new covenant, and you would never know what happened, except you would walk out of here feeling extremely guilty and probably shamed and probably confused and maybe a little bit like God doesn't like you. Why? Because the relationship that they were under in the old covenant was so entirely dependent upon their behavior and upon their religion and upon their sacrifices and upon their pilgrimages and upon finding, following all of the rules and all of the calendars that they were laboring under something that they could never fulfill. But Jesus came to fulfill it and to remove it and to bring to them a new covenant of forgiveness and grace and mercy and love. And so if we are trying to live in that old covenant reality or old covenant teachings in a new covenant reality, we will constantly be confused. This is what Jesus was talking about. Whoa, there's a bug attacking my face. This is what we understand from Scripture when it says you can't sew an old patch, a new patch onto an old wineskin. That's what it's talking about. It's the covenants. You can't live in an old covenant and start trying to attach new covenant realities to it and vice versa. It'll burst it because you're trying to overlap them and you're trying to attach them. And so, so much of religious toxicity, so much of the deconstruction that people are going through right now that I believe is so vital and so important is that they are deconstructing this teaching they've grown up with their entire life where people have mixed covenants and taught them and taught them and taught them and taught them. And after years and years of years of that, they're extremely confused and disheartened and their relationship with God is suffering and they go, what can we do? We, can, we need to deconstruct this. And we say, absolutely you do. Because you know what? As followers of Jesus, we should be constantly deconstructing our faith because it is not our faith that we are justified. It is our relationship with Jesus that justifies us. So, yeah, there is a deconstruction happening, and I believe the, one of the root causes of it is because we have done a very poor job of understanding the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant within Scripture. And when we teach out of the Old Covenant without the context and the understanding of it as if it's a present reality, it damages people's faith and understanding of who Jesus is. Let's get back on track here. But the ministry that Jesus has received. So the early church, sorry, the modern church makes the mistake. This is what I was just talking about. The modern church makes the mistake of going back and forth under the new and old covenant and not knowing who she is or how to walk in her identity. The early church understood that a massive shift had taken place. This is what Jesus was teaching about. But the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old covenant. This is what we see in Hebrews. The new covenant is superior to the old, and it is founded on new and better promises, Hebrews 8.6. Under the old covenant, we seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah 55.6. Under the new, it is Christ in you is the hope of glory. We are not seeking the Lord while he may be found necessarily, as they were in Isaiah 55, where he had a destination and a place that he existed, a temple, a tabernacle, a presence. We are the temple. He is indwelling us, and it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. This perfect covenant established on better promises. So what does it mean, then, to be a better covenant church? Hanging with me? We're doing great. Woo! Okay. 
I want to make sure that you understand this. To be a new covenant church, I am not saying new covenant theology because there is a new covenant theology movement out there. You don't have to look it up. Just take my word for it. I want you to understand that it's not what we're doing. What they, what they understand is that Jesus came to abolish the old covenant and all of its laws, all of the regulations, all of the stipulations. He abolished all of that. And then they look into the New Testament or into the Gospels and they draw out like 800 new rules that you have to follow in the new covenant. And so it was like, that's not what we're doing here. It's not what I'm doing here at all. But, it, but I do believe that we need to be a better covenant church and a better covenant people. So one, Jesus' birth and death fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant and some of the Davidic covenant. Jesus' death created a new covenant. Jesus' ascension and his enthronement fulfilled the Davidic covenant of kingdom promises that God had made to David. The destruction of the temple in 70 AD, it removed the old covenant finally and it fulfilled Romans 8.13. By calling this new covenant or this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And as I said earlier, between the cross and the 70 AD destruction of the temple system, the priesthood records, all of those things, there was a covenant transition. The old covenant and the new covenant coexisted for 40 years from 30 AD to 70 AD. As I said earlier, the end of the age and the last days of the, are first century references to the last days of the old covenant, not the end of the world. There remains no application. It means to be a new covenant church, a new covenant people, means that we understand there remains no application of the Mosaic covenant or the laws. The law of the new covenant is this, love one another as I have loved you. This is the command that Jesus gave. A new command I give to you in a new covenant reality is that you would love one another as I have loved you. So the old covenant and everything with it was fulfilled and it is obsolete. We do not follow the rituals. We don't have to follow the festivals. We don't follow the meal plans. We don't follow the calendar. We don't follow the restrictions of Moses. That is all from an old covenant with Moses and Israel that we were not and are not a part of. Can you? Certainly. You, you, you can. You can follow the calendar. You can do all the meals. I'm not saying that there isn't something beautiful in stepping into those things because they are shadows of Jesus. They point us to Jesus, the one who fulfilled all of these meals and the rituals and the processes. Jesus fulfilled all of those. So if we want to look at Old Testament, the, 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 those calendars and those meals, and we want to partake in them, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's when we ever come under a labor where we feel like to be good Christians, we do have to follow those things. We don't. We follow those or we partake in those so that we can have this beautiful remembrance and, and reflection on the work of Jesus and what Jesus has, has done. So I'm not belittling those things. I'm just saying don't get captured into any teaching that says that you have to follow or fulfill any old covenant rituals or, or, or followings like that when we are in a new covenant. So we understand this as new covenant believers in a new covenant church that the old covenant and everything in it is fulfilled and obsolete. The second thing we understand this is that we are forgiven. This new covenant is a covenant of forgiveness. Jesus' work is at the center of everything in this new covenant and it is beyond belief. Hebrews 10, 12, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for, for sin, he sat down, Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God. 
John 1.17, For the law that was given through Moses, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.28, Neither is there Jew or Gentile, slave or free, nor is there male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.17, This covenant of forgiveness. For if by the trespasses of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? You may have been taught over and over and over to say, We are all sinners. Why? Because Adam sinned. And through Adam's sin, sin entered into the cosmos. Sin entered into people. So we are all sinners. Why? Because of Adam's sin. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then I need you to wrestle with this scripture that says, if through one man all sinned, then through Jesus all are forgiven. Another thing that we are as a new covenant group of believers, as a new covenant church or whatever we want to be called, accountable to identity in Christ, not to the law or a bunch of rules. So, I am not teaching you a doctrine that says, because we are no longer under the law, we no longer have any law to abide by. You can do whatever it is that you want. You can do it, whatever. Well, I mean, I kind of am teaching you that, but there's a journey of Christ-likeness and fruitfulness that you have to have in that because Scripture teaches us that the judgment that is on us, like we, I've said this before, you are under the judgment of God. The judgment of God is completed in Christ and He has judged you as forgiven. And in being forgiven, the, the judgment that Scripture says that we can have is around the fruitfulness of our life. To be fruitful like Christ. And so what do we have to do? Instead of going to the old covenant and looking for a whole bunch of rules that we have to follow, what we are doing is we are called to steward our freedom, the fullness, the truth, the hope, the love, to steward it in a way that brings about fruitfulness in our life and Christ-likeness. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. There is a higher law and a higher expectation that exists in our life than me just telling you, do this, don't do this. Here's your list of sins and behaviors. You can do these and you can't do those and, and you'll sleep well at night. That's not at all what we're talking about. For each one of us, we have to have the responsibility to steward our freedom in the new covenant to say, is this bringing about Christ-likeness in my life? Is this bringing about fruitfulness in my life? My question to you then is so simple because you can argue with me doctrine, you can argue with me scripture, you can memorize all of the scriptures, you can go to church every day of your life, you can do all of these things, and my question is so simple for you, is it working? Is it working when your kids are just driving you crazy? Your doctrine and your theology and all of your arguments and the, th- and, the, and, the th- and the studies and classes and, and, and uh, schools of ministry that you've been to, does it matter when you're with your kids and they're doing something and you're blowing up at them? Because that's, your, that's the essence of your new covenant reality coming out, is the fruitfulness. So you say, oh, I study the Bible, Pastor. I read the, I, I pray every day for an hour. I do this thing, and I do this thing. And I'm great. 
then your kids must be experiencing Christ-likeness. Then your partner, your friends, your wife, your husband, the culture around you at your job, they must be experiencing the life of Christ and the fruitfulness of the Spirit of God so powerfully through your life. Well, no, I'm actually kind of angry. Then guess what? Your doctrine, your theology, your studies, your whatever, religiosity, it's not working. So the simplest question that we have as New Covenant believers is that we have been given freedom from law and rules and religion, and in its place we are required then to steward our lives in a way where fruitfulness pours out of us. And I don't say that to shame you. I don't say that to make you like, oh, it's so heavy. I'm getting out of here. The work of the Spirit of God in a surrendered life is to bring about fruitfulness. It's to the Father's glory that you are fruitful. His desire is that you would be fruitful. So when you come to him with a place in your life under a new covenant reality that says, this is not fruitful, he's not going to shame you or turn his back on you. He's going to say, rad, let me get to work in that place. Join me in getting to work in that place. That's what we get to do with the new freedom that we have where nobody can lay religious obligations and calendars and rituals and steps that we have to go through to get into the Holy of Holies when we in Jesus, carriers of the presence of God, are the Holy of Holies. But how does, the, how does that come out of us is going to be how we steward our freedom as new covenant believers. If we don't have the law... How are we to behave? What is the new commandment? If we are saying, what is the new commandment of this new covenant to love one another? So now Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. 2 John 4, 6. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear church, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to Jesus' commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is what? That you walk in love. God is Love. And so the expression of your covenant relationship through Jesus, this covenant that Jesus created, he fulfilled a covenant that was a heavy obligation, and he brought us into a new covenant and his requirement of us, his commandment of us, the life of us, and the expression of a father who says, I am love, is how we love others. It's not our doctrine, it's not our political stances. It's not what we're standing for even in the marketplaces. It's how well we're loving our enemies, our neighbors, and those closest to us who get to experience us when our veneer and our BS and all of our pretending are gone. How well are we loving those closest to us? God, let us not be a church who loves our neighbors really well, but fails to love those in closest proximity to our life. God, let us not be a church. (laughs) Let us not be a church who forgets what it looks like to humble ourselves and show up in love with people that we don't see eye to eye with, that we don't agree with, that we don't understand, but we show up in love. 
and we don't sit back and say, when I understand them or when I have a way to serve them or when I figure out how I can fix them, I'll go show up in their lives. As opposed to just loving them. This is the new covenant reality, a church, a people, where Jesus has come and torn down every wall to make us one in Christ. And one in Christ, we are better suited as a whole to love one another. And I want to say this. Everything that I'm instructing us, everything that I'm believing for us is not about individualism, about you going out and doing this. It is about this radical concept that flies in the face of our current culture and where we live. It is this communal desire for us to understand that we love well as a people, that we love well as new covenant believers, that we follow his prompting, his direction, and that he changed everything. Luke 22, 19 through 20. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, and I'm going to have the worship team come back up. He took the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, Jesus took the cup and he said this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I started this morning by saying the cross is, We have so individualized the work and cross of Jesus, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I believe personally that we all need a revelation of of what Jesus has done for us in forgiving us and restoring us and making us new. But sometimes when we come to communion, maybe oftentimes when we come to communion, we've been taught to come to communion, and we're like, this is our confessional time. This uh, This is our, like, repentance time. You need to come to the communion table and you need to search your heart and make sure that there's no sin in you and you need to confess that sin and you need to make sure that you're right with God and you got to do all this. And so you take communion on a very personal, in a very personal way of saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm aligning myself with you. I'm confessing. I'm, I want forgiveness. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me saying that there's anything wrong with it. What a beautiful picture for us to be able to come and remember the cross and the work of, of Jesus and to come into that, remind ourselves of that personal relationship and the work that Jesus has done. But Jesus said, this blood, this cup, is about a new covenant. So when we come to communion this morning, I would love for us to come to communion with a heart where we're remembering that as we take communion, that we are stepping into, we're remembering, we're reminding ourselves of the work of Jesus and how he brought us into a new covenant out of an old covenant of law and religion and jumping through hoops and temples and sacrifices and calendars and blah, blah, blah into a place where we get personal relationship with him and we have this law that says that we would live in love. You are in a new covenant because of Jesus' blood poured out. And at that same table, he said something else in Matthew in Luke 22. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me. And so... This new covenant reality of being a new covenant church is about covenant. It's also about kingdom. So when we come to the communion table today, I want us to remember that. And I want us to come as people who are saying yes, again, to being a part of this new covenant that Jesus had for us and a part of this kingdom that he inaugurated and established for us in his death and life and resurrection. Okay. That was a lot. You guys are awesome. Um, I just appreciate that uh, time. What I want us to do for the next few minutes is to, and I, and I, 
apologize to the worship team. You guys are so rad. And, I, and it's, my clock is telling me that I've taken 23 extra minutes. And so um, I want us to have some space in this time to take communion. I also would love for us to have some space to respond in worship. Um, so let's take just a few minutes right now. And if you guys would, um, go and grab communion. That They're around the different tables around the room. I think there's one over here. And there's one over here. Maybe there's one more. guys can take communion on your own at your own time or at any point but Jesus we we just stand back this morning and we recognize the beauty of a personal relationship with you that's made possible because of your death and your resurrection and your invitation for your spirit to come into ours and literally bring us to life spiritually that we would be born again spiritually such a radical shift that takes place individually by your body being laid down, your blood being poured out, your death and your resurrection. But we also want to center our hearts on what you declared that your blood was. It was a new covenant. We thank you that you have repealed, fulfilled, and removed the old covenant that was a labor and an impossibility for people to live under. And it separated you from your people and that you had to fulfill it to remove it even if that fulfillment meant laying down your life we thank you that you fulfilled that covenant to repeal that covenant to inaugurate by your blood an entirely new covenant to create an entirely new people that we would be one in you 
and one with you individually, one with you corporately, and that we would show the world what it means to be loved by a Father who is love, who pursues us, who breaks down every barrier and removes every barrier to bring us back into relationship. And that alive in us, that you would be a light through us of your love to those closest to us, to our neighbors, and to our enemies because of your covenant. So as we take communion, we thank you for your body, beaten and broken and laid down for us. We thank you for your blood, shed and poured out, even unto death. But death couldn't hold you. And as you rose, you inaugurated a new covenant and brought us into a place of forgiveness and freedom that is beyond our comprehension, but you're asking us to live in it, to know it, and to walk in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So please continue to take communion. Join us for these next few minutes as we sing, as we worship. At 11.30, would you, uh, for those of you that have kids and Kingdom Kids, would you go grab them and just thank the teachers back there, love on them a little bit for giving us this time to be together. If you have talk you want to do or meet with people, you can do that in the lobby. But for the next little while, we're just going to maintain this space in here as a place to worship. You're free to go as you need, but uh, we want to worship for a few minutes. Jesus, it's all about you. I want to be spilled out. I want to be spilled out. I want to be spilled out.